Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Patrice Goodman, an actor you may have seen in Slasher and The Umbrella Academy. She's also popped up on everything. She's in Kim's Convenience, The Handmaid's Tale, The Expanse, Pretty Hard Cases, and of course she was part of the cast of the regrettably short-lived sketch comedy Sunnyside. These days, she's playing Flower Underwood in the sci-fi comedy Overlord in the Underwoods, which is dropping 10 more episodes on CBC Gem this Friday, January 21st. It's a weird, sweet little show. You should check it out. Patrice picked The Color Purple, Steven Spielberg's 1985 adaptation of Alice Walker's 1982 novel about the life of a woman named Seeley in the American South in the early decades of the 20th century. Married as a teenager to a brutal man she calls Mr., Seeley endures abuse, assault, neglect, and despair but carves out some happiness from the women around her and eventually discovers a strength she didn't know she had. It's a coming-of-age story that takes decades to play out, and I know that's a reductive description, but The Color Purple isn't really about its plot. It's about living with the characters and watching their emotional arcs play out. And, as you'll hear, it continues to be an inspiration. This is someone else's movie. The Color Purple was the movie that solidified the reason I wanted to be an actor. It was, it, watching it changed me so much that I understood what the importance of being an actor was and how you can affect the world. And, and it, it gave me my reason why, really. Oh, wow. How old were you when you saw it? What was, were the circumstances? I was 14 years old. And um, I had decided to do, I loved, I had loved Whoopi Goldberg my whole life. And I had grown up with her watching, you know, I saw her in Jumping Jack Flash. I had seen her in a, a couple of really great movies and I'd always loved her. So I decided to go back because by the time I had seen it, the movie had probably been out for 10 years. Um, I decided to have a whole night of Whoopi Goldberg and I watched her. Uh, her show that was on Broadway, the one oh, yeah. woman show that she did. And then I watched The Color Purple afterwards and watching those two performances back to back. And it just was so, you know, has that Steven Spielberg sort of lush, consumable movie language. Um, I just yeah. was like, I want to be a part of telling stories that create empathy in other people. And that was the conclusion I made. And her performance was the center of that movie. And I've loved it ever since. Yeah, I remember it was the Broadway show, I think, that got Spielberg's attention. Uh, that that was why he wanted to cast her. That's why he cast her. Yeah. Because she played, what, seven characters? More, right? There, there are a lot of characters flying around in that one. I think it was, I can remember, like, I can literally remember, like, four of the bits, you know, like the Valley girl and uh, <laughs> the junkie who decides to get on a plane to Europe. Um, the, the physically, um, the physical, I think a woman with cerebral palsy was a character that she played. I think you're um, right. Yeah. I can't remember. decades since I've seen it. I know. And I can't, it's hard. Not, it's not the easiest thing to find. I've, I've gone out looking for it. I, you know, I think it went down with Blockbuster when New York. <laughs> um, yeah, I wonder if it'll turn up. And we, I think it was on HBO, so it might even turn up on Crave or HBO Max or something at some point. Yeah, there was oh no goodness. reason for them not to. You just gave me tingles. I'm so they excited everything. About getting to see it again. Yeah. Um, but when I was, yeah, when I watched The Color Purple, I was, I was forever changed because I think it was the first time I had seen a black woman at the middle of a dramatic story that didn't focus on racism. It was actually about her life. Racism was of course part of it. Mm. And she wasn't a beauty. Like they did, you know, Whoopi Goldberg is gorgeous, but she's not this traditional, you know, she doesn't have the traditional looks that like Halle Berry does. And it was really the story of, a person figuring out their self-worth and moving forward and loving. And it wasn't 
centered on, you know, a man deciding to love you. It wasn't centered on um, rugged individualism. It was really a story about a human being understanding their self-worth. And I, that was so powerful to me and it's still powerful to me. I, I still watch it. Yeah. I hadn't seen it in a while. I have to admit, probably, geez, probably 20 years, I think since I last even looked at it, it's just sort of fallen away in Spielberg's filmography. And then watching it again, I realized that's totally unfair. I mean, it was pilloried at the time for being, you know, a white filmmaker's take on a black story and the way that he does apply his sort of saturated color Spielbergana with the sunlight dappling through everything. But, but watching it a second time, or this was probably the third time through actually watching it again, I realized he saves that. It's not constant. It's just the ending that everybody walks out of the theater thinking, oh, that was twinkling. It's like, no, there's some pretty dark stuff that happens before that. And it's he- really dark. And I don't, it's funny. Like I, I, I mean, the, the issue of a, you know, of a white man directing that movie. Like I, I was, I was thinking about it yesterday cause I rewatched it yesterday. Cause I knew we were going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about the fact that, I don't think if he hadn't directed that movie and it would, I think it would be really interesting to see what a black woman would do with that story. And I think it would have eventually happened just because of the power of the novel and how beloved it is. But I don't think it would have happened within the 10 years that it was produced. I think we would have had to wait till the, maybe the two thousands. And even then it would have been a push. Um, I don't, I think because he decided to direct it, we got the career of Whoopi Goldberg and Danny Glover. And I don't know if we would have been able to have them as soon. And I also think because he directed, he proved that a black woman could be at the center of story, that it could hold our attention, that there was an audience for it. Um, And I think those are all worthy trade-offs. Like, maybe not trade-off isn't the right word, but I, I think those are all worthy things to gain from um, maybe the loss of that particular voice. Yeah, it's weird, right? It's Quincy Jones had the rights to the novel before Spielberg did and, and wanted Spielberg to make it. And I think his, his sense, Jones understood that it had to be someone with his own studio. It had to be somebody who couldn't yeah. be stopped in a decision. Like he had to have someone who was powerful enough to get casting approval. And even though... Spielberg, like he said, the film should be directed by a person of color. And apparently just Jones refused to take that and said, no, look, you, you <laughs> could make this movie if you, if you're paying attention. So apparently he did. I, I, there's just not enough. I, I can't imagine what, I mean, I guess the other thing too, is I'm trying to figure out how, it, how you would cover something like that, because all the coverage at the time is sort of already hagiographical and how, you know, like this triumphant adaptation of a, it was it was received as a classic by the journalists at the time um, mm-hmm. covering the production, right? Because it was so monumental and that was part of the package. Like Alice Walker was giving interviews about how important it was to her. And um, she had script approval and was a script doctor, according to Wikipedia, although I don't know how they how that how accurate that information is. It's it's fascinating to imagine Steven Spielberg and Alice Walker working together in any capacity just because their careers are so different. Not that n- either of them isn't qualified to work with the other, but the movie that comes out, I mean, it feels very much like a Steven Spielberg interpretation. Yes. I don't, but I don't know that that's negative, right? I like, don't have a problem. Yeah, I don't in, have in a problem with that. In 1985, I don't know how you do that. Well, I mean, the I think maybe, and maybe it's partly because of the language that Steven Spielberg sort of sets out in all of his movies. Like, mm. you know, when I was a child, E.T. was my favorite movie. And Indiana Jones is the one of those movies that I grew up on. So my initial language of filmmaking is really very much set by him. And I don't think there's a problem with the fact that it is such a, con- like, it is an, it's a movie that has very difficult subject matter, but it is very easy to watch. Yeah. It's easy to be lifted up and taken away by it because of the texture and because of the shots and because of the, so, you know, the, and the book is 
you know, I, I, after I saw the movie, I read the book and it became my favorite book because it is so, um, it's so gripping. Her story is so gripping. Um, but I, I think he, I think he kept it and I, I think he did all of the important things, which was tell her story, make them real people. Also, the casting is impeccable. Yeah, I was going to say that's the other thing that absolutely every single facet of the film is represented by faces. Like there are only there are way more close-ups than I'd remembered. I, I'm in my in my head. It was the last shot of the the flashback, the two girls in the middle of the field, right? Yeah. Uh, which that's the recency effect. That's the thing you carry away. But then to watch the film again, it's the trust he puts in untried act like Oprah is in this as an actor and she's Her great time. Yeah. This is the first time these unknowns are being cast in a major giant film with huge expectations. And, and that's the thing too, that people forget now because Spielberg's made so many movies that everything kind of gets lumped into the Jaws and Raiders or the things people vaguely remember, right? Like, yes. It's it's kind of forgotten that The Color Purple was perceived as his first attempt as a serious adult story. I would argue against that. I think like Jaws is that. Jaws is about people more than it is about the situation. True. But this has a greater weight of expectation. And of course, it's telling a it's telling a, a story, it's opening up. How can I put this? It's like it's it's got more obligations to consider. Like it's not an entertainment, it's a drama. Yes. And so it is a transition for him, but he doesn't make it feel like one right because he's just progressing as a filmmaker into this next stage where he's telling more grown-up stuff like empire of the sun is two years away and and schindler's list is 93 so that's not so far off right but he's he's evolving and growing and he's still taking huge risks whereas someone now trying to you know transition into quote-unquote serious cinema would would hedge every bet would be careful would cast movie stars would go with people who were less risky to an audience, but the trust he shows in leads and just letting the camera linger on people and letting them sell the moment rather than the score or, or the, you know, the framing of a shot, the golden lighting thing, it doesn't happen nearly as often as I thought it did. And I kind of felt guilty about that in the back of my mind. I'd sort of, I'd thought about it as, as a lesser than film, but it's solidly constructed as anything he's done. Yes, I think so. And you can feel him doing his best to stay out of the way of the story. I also think like, I, I, it, and it's a testament to the, his casting process, really, you know, like the, the, the young woman who pays, I mean, she's not young anymore, I'm sure, but um, the, the younger woman who plays Celie in the, the beginning, that is a huge part. The entire emotional heart of the movie turns on her reaction to losing her sister. Um, and the woman who plays her sister was an actor who just come out of theater school, but, Oh, I can't remember her name. Oh, um, uh, is it Desretta Jackson? Yes. She had like, she had virtually no experience like, and here she is playing the heart of the movie. And blends in beautifully with Whoopi Goldberg. Like I can't imagine what kind of risk that is for a director to take on somebody. And, and he obviously made her feel comfortable enough to deliver. And that is very difficult. Like it's incredibly difficult to make people who have never really done it before, especially on camera, especially for the first time, feel comfortable enough to deliver such raw emotions with tears and snot and yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Like Henry Thomas with and full ET is just cry. Yeah, <laughs> and Henry Thomas and Drew Barrymore are like three years in the back from ET. He's been doing this all along. He just kept shifting towards a different story. And and even like West Side Story has a an amazing couple or a couple of amazing newcomers in it. Or, or I, I can't Williams. wait to see. I haven't seen it yet because I'm. I know I I'm, I could tell by the ad that it was so good, and also Sondheim's reaction to it was—he sounded very excited about it. Yeah. Um, so I was like, that guy was that guy's always been hard to impress. So if you impress Sondheim, then it's got to be good. Yeah. But yeah, like I think he did. I think the criticism was, um, 
I think the criticism is like fair in the sense that we all wish a black woman had been able to direct that show. But the, the reality is, is that nobody was giving a black woman the opportunity. Yeah. And, and, and I'm grateful that he decided to try and grow up. And I'm grateful that Alice was on board and I'm grateful that Quincy Jones, and I'm grateful that, you know, Oprah, it's solidified Oprah in a way as well, who I think did, has done a lot of good in the world with her show. And I think Whoopi has also, I think for Black actresses, proved that, you know, you, personality and um, charisma and skills are a vital part of success. Yeah, you know, it's... Um... It's a showcase for the the cast, and, and David Glover. Yeah, I was going to say I'd only seen him in in Witness. I think that year uh, was was the only oh, yeah. other real role he had, and he's a heavy. He's not even the lead villain. No, he's um, not. He's used for his presence, and then you can see him. You know, I, I've met him. I've, I've watched his career evolve. He's an incredibly warm person, uh, and so to see Witness and Color Purple come out within months of each other, where he turns all of that off and just menaces. There is ultimately a heart to Mister, but it is a tiny little dark thing that's buried deep down in a box that that Glover <laughs> shows you. He shows us how he excavates that, which is kind of incredible for the way the character is written because none of it's in the dialogue. It's just sort of there at the very end when he understands what real strength is because <laughs> because he almost dies at the hands of the woman he's been abusing for decades, yeah, and yes. um, and it's. It's somehow played with like his version of like Mister's version of dignity, and I realize we've just jumped to the end here, which is weird. But like this is the the fiction that he's created for himself in order to be a decent person at the last is is sort of like a twisted kind of respect for this person he's never paid any attention to. Well, we see this we see his growth, which I think is not like it's not always an easy thing to show. Mm. Um, but because the movie goes through so many years, I think we can see how he essentially decides to atone for his sins. Yeah. Um, I also think earlier on in the movie, we get a very clear idea of how he was twisted when we watch him with his father. Oh yeah, absolutely. And how uh, that, you know, how that, like this tiny man is able to sort of twist up somebody else and disrespect his love i think like the the love triangle i don't know maybe love triangle is the right word for it but his love for shug yeah yeah. which seems real and is um heartfelt so we know that he can be a loving man we know that he does love um but uh is so twisted and so unable to see how his abuse is truly affecting somebody else is um, I think the scary, like it's that awful normal issue where you see that in there, in that person, they're a real human being, but are still capable of abuse. It, yeah. it sort of settles that, um, because we all, I always find that we want to make abusers monsters as opposed to real people. And I think that's a mistake because it makes it very hard to recognize it in real life when, if, if, and when you see it. So oh, yeah. I think making abusers real people with real feelings are um, always so much more telling and always so much more upsetting when you see how they turn around and abuse the a, a character that you love. Yeah. It's, it's, we're in a place now where social media seems to be entirely about the disconnect between someone telling a story and displaying empathy for their characters and the audience assuming that yeah, it's it's going on now about Licorice Pizza and a couple of other films where, you know, this this depiction does not constitute endorsement. 
you can make a movie about difficult, troubled people without saying they're your heroes. It's okay. yeah. yeah. And this is absolutely one of those examples where there's no way to come out of the movie assuming that Mr. is the good guy, right? Like there, there's no illusion about that. He does terrible things, but because, yeah, because Glover plays him with a glimmer of humanity and you're right. You're absolutely right about the scenes with Shug where he's a different person. And part of that is because we're seeing it through Seely's eyes. But part of that is just clearly that's where all the warmth is going. That's where all the humanity is going. He's directed it away from his wife into this other person and towards this other person. And we're stuck with Seely watching her be miserable. And it's, it's hard for him to come back around again. Mm-hmm. And like the grandiose demonstration, the things that he does at the very end. Yeah. It's, it's, like an attempt to reclaim his humanity, maybe, or an atone for all the things he did wrong and all the things he held from her, uh, literally with those with the letters, which is this huge revelation in the film, and it lands like a hammer. But I remember seeing it at the time as a, I would have been like 17 in 1985, I'm seeing it at the, the long gone Plaza Theater underground at Young and Bloor. Uh, oh, I love that theater. <laughs> yeah, on opening day, it was a whole deal. And, um, and I remember thinking, this doesn't get you into heaven. Like this is this doesn't make up for the absence. But of course, the movie knows that. I think there's a reason it ends where it does. To go any further, there's all this rebuilding that has to be done, all this like literally reconstruction, which is kind of mirrored in the way that America is changing around the in the backgrounds of the of the of scenes and the in the like the incidental stuff that. Seely gets to rebuild late in life and, and reestablish this relationship, but it's been denied her for so long. There's always going to be a hole there. Yeah. And a, a less, um, a less confident movie would try to paper that over. Yeah. But Spielberg doesn't let us off the hook and, and no. neither did Walker. I much, her book is much more graphic about the suffering in almost every way. Her book is graphic about the suffering and also they, Celia and Albert, I think, if I remember correctly, end up living together back again. And she's like, I look at him and he looks like a frog. (laughs) She sees him for what he is, which is, you know, like an old sort of vulnerable man, which a lot of the time, you know, again, he was a real person who did, who does terrible things. And, and you know, the lesson is from, from that is that we have to be watchful of real people who do terrible things. Yeah. One thing I think you were mentioning the whole Africa revelation, um, how that's tied together in the movie is so, I remember I hadn't read the book or, or I hadn't read the book before I saw the movie. And then all of a sudden this movie that I thought I understood, I remember watching it and all of a sudden the colors and the story of Africa comes busting in and yesterday I was watching it and just marveling at the transitions back and forth from one story to another. It's to me, one of the most masterful things that I've seen Steven Spielberg do was figuring out how to tie that whole, every single beat of that story together. It looks like to me, I felt like it was a zipper zipping up, like all this, like two lands, two stories, two families, and how that all ties up into Celie's consciousness was so fascinating and so well done. And I forgot rewatching it last night that this was one of my favorite parts of the movie. He's always been so like effortlessly visual at connecting dots and things. Uh, it's yeah. like watching, I, I I actually realized watching it this time that I had completely forgotten there's a full-on musical number in it. I, I, when I wrote about West Side Story, um, oh, yes. okay. I was saying like, he's been making musicals all along. This is a, this is a musical. This is a musical. Uh, Raiders action sequences are cut and scored like musical numbers. And there's the bar fight in um, the, like the, the jitterbug contest that turns into a full-on bar fight in 1941. That's absolutely exhilarating and it's dancing, let alone mm-hmm. everything else that's happening. And then it's just like, Oh no, there's a scene where someone stops a room dead and sings a song and it means everything. And it's the halfway point of the film and it's hugely important. And I just forgotten it. 
completely because it's so calm and subtle. It's so calm and subtle. And also the last, the Shug going back into her father's church and how that started in the Egypt and marching over there with the entire band and watching her get the hug that she's been wanting her whole, you know, her whole life. I think it is an interesting thing too, as well, that they, we had time to watch each character's arc, like really, we really get to understand Shug and what's she's missing and how that so deeply affects her and how she yearns for that and how she gets that back. Um, and Celie as well, like, you know, Celie finding love mm-hmm. really with Shug, which is one of the most enchanting scenes like that, that I, I realized watching the movie yesterday that, Celie barely speaks for the first half of the movie. Like she doesn't talk. We don't hear from her very much. Um, The only time we really hear from her is the the voiceovers. Yep. yep. And the first scene where she's expressing herself is when Shug makes her put on the pretty dress and shake her shimmy and smile in the mirror. And Whoopi is so heartbreaking in that scene. Well, it's the first time Um, we've seen her smile too, right? Properly. It's like, it's the hero shot where you really, where Spielberg shows us who she, who she is, what the actor can do. And she sort of takes the movie in a different, like, she seizes the film for the first time with that scene. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, you know, the love affair, like the sort of the awkwardness of the love affair part. Oh yeah. It's <laughs> like, it's comedy, but it's also so dangerous right because there's so much tension until until the release until well i mean really it's not until that the next morning thing where you just have this again the sort of gentleness of it all but yeah. it's so tense and and goldberg plays it they both do margaret avery's terrific uh, i don't want to take terrific. anything away from her performance but goldberg you're like you're just you're we're watching Celie to see what she's going to not what she's going to do, but how she's going to feel because there's all this stuff that's been repressed in her life and all the, all this, this, this sort of treasure chest of emotion that she hides from, from everyone around her and from the camera. And then when Goldberg lets it out, it's just, it's, I remember this, this big release in the theater, people just being happy for her because it's been a long time and she's been denied anything approaching happiness by that point in the film. And we, and we had, yeah. And we had never heard her voice. Like that's the, to, to finally get to hear her voice. And when it, um, you know, the beginning of that, the, the beginning of her voice really starting to rumble mm-hmm. still connects so beautifully to that moment when she, you know, holds the knife to his throat yeah. <laughs> and stops him. Like if, I don't like as an actor, sometimes I wonder, cause a lot of the time we shoot out of order mm-hmm. and it's, it's hard to connect the dots. A lot of the time you rely on a director to let you know from scene to scene where we have to start and where we have to end. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the time it's, it's very much instinct and um, Whoopi's instinct on this, on her voice starting and then being able to to carry that all this way through and see that moment where she she, you know, it's like it has the hand of God sort of like, <laughs> you know, when she stops him from touching her and she proclaims herself and takes her space and says, I may be black, I may be poor, but I'm here and I'm alive. That it it's I understood her journey there and it couldn't have, she couldn't have, it wouldn't have worked unless she had really started with that, you know, that small voice in that scene where we finally heard her. Like there was no way that I would believe her if she hadn't been able to sell me on all of those feelings, all of her pain and all of her love. Um, yeah. I, th- I just think it was, that was, that that was the magic of that movie was really was Celie's journey, I think. I believe. And I we think haven't so. talked no. about Oprah. 
<laughs> yeah, well, we can absolutely get to Oprah. Um, it is so odd to see now to see her play someone who's not Oprah. And I know that's her job as an actor when she does it. That's her thing. But given how I, I cannot think of another human being who has spent so much time being publicly themselves to whatever degree that Oprah Winfrey is, you know, performing herself when she's a talk show host. Oh, yeah. Because I know Oprah. Like, yeah, everybody. Oprah is my friend. Yes, exactly. Everybody has the Turn Oprah in their head, every right? Day, right at four o'clock, every you know, every woman in North America turned her on at four o'clock. So yeah, I know Oprah. And yeah. so when now when I see you know S- Sophia, I'm like, who is that actor? <laughs> oh, Oprah, you're acting. Yeah, well, I mean, not only are we starting from a point of an Oprah who doesn't really look like Oprah as she looks now, right? So there's yeah. the, the disconnect of watching somebody 35 years ago. Um, but she's willing to wear the makeup of someone, like the, the prosthetics that they put on her, the the abuse that her character suffers, the black eye and the bruising. And, and it's not something that you would expect to see anybody who wants to be uh, a movie star do right it's just it's a selfless version of a character performance it's the best kind of character acting yeah because she's not concerned with the brand she's just doing what the role requires well i think what's interesting about oprah's journey with that movie or in in that book was Mm. she loved that book yeah she loved everything about that book she said she would keep extra copies in her bag and give it to like, she would give it to strangers. Um, And when she auditioned for like, you know, here she gets this bizarre call to audition for Sophia because Quincy Jones had seen her on TV in his hotel room in Chicago and was like, there she is. But I think, um, and I think that a lot of like, I so appreciate it when actors are willing to to go into those places where we're not worried about being attractive or consumable, I should say. Yeah. Um, it It is a constant pressure. Like as an actor, I feel that constantly that I have to, I have to look good or people aren't going to want to watch me. And having yes having oprah go to that place where she puts the prosthetic over her eye and um is willing to not look as perfect and beautiful as she did every day for her show i i'm like because i know oprah because she's one of my best (laughs) friends (laughs) i know that she loved the book so much she wanted to tell that part of the story and she is always willing I think anybody who spends that much time willing to talk about the sad and ugly and difficult parts of humanity, I think she probably really relished the idea to do to do a project where she could let go, not worry, and really just tell the like the deep human, you know juicy story i think she probably read reveled in it and apparently that monologue that she does um at the dinner table apparently that was improvised yeah it apparently wasn't... spielberg had uh, goldberg and, and winfrey were the most active the most willing to improv and he just let them run which again is stunning because to do that for a character in period in that context and nail it i mean yeah she's she's living and breathing the book by the time she gets to that day of shooting. And mm-hmm. so of course she, she'd get it right, but my God, she's like, she's just, it's, it's kind of remarkable and kind of horrible at the same time. And it's probably one because of the other, like the, the famously the color purple is one of the few films to be nominated for the most Oscars and not win a single thing. Yeah. And looking back at it now and it all went to out of Africa, which Come on. That <laughs> hurts even more. Best cinematography. Absolutely. It's gorgeous but, to look at. Yeah. And, and Streep is fine and Redford's having fun. But the idea of what the, and, and you know, trust me, I'm a film critic. Awards are meaningless, even the ones I give out. Um, the except idea. They're not. 
that's the problem, right? They're actually not meaningless. Like they end up and adding legitimacy to whatever the movie was and whatever that movie meant. Yeah, exactly. um, To whatever actor played the part. Like if you, if it says Academy Award behind your name, you will, and maybe it's, maybe it doesn't mean that much inside of the business. Like, you know, everybody's like, yeah, I got an Academy Award. So what? Yeah. But when it goes to sell something, when it goes to sell uh, or having an actor wanting to produce something, they know it's, it's like, oh, I won an Academy Award. I can, it piques people's attention and might be the difference between a ticket being sold and a ticket not being sold. So the fact that the movie didn't win Academy Awards, I think hindered it and hindered the business into buying in that Black films, that Black drama, that uh, stories about Black women going through difficult things. I think it told the business that we can't really bank on these things and that, you know, we had to sort of push the, push the boulder down the road of feeling like our stories were welcome to be told because unfortunately, like if you tell a story and it centers around uh, something that we're not, we don't traditionally turn the television on for unless it goes all the way, like becomes an unmitigated hit doing okay. Doesn't seem to be enough. And we don't really hold that standard to other projects. Um, We kind of really exclusively hold it to, you know, new faces when they come to the screen, black faces, Asian faces, um Indian faces like I I feel like me as a person who wants to watch different kinds of people and why it was so impactful on me just to watch somebody who even comes close to looking like me um I really wish she had won the award for that and I really wish that movie had won the award because I'd be curious to see how many more movies we would have gotten to see you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. There's another version of, there's a timeline where Oprah Winfrey wins best supporting actress and doesn't do the show, right? Pursues a career in acting. And maybe she might because have been amazing. She's my best friend. I, I know she was, I know she loved the show. <laughs> she would still have come back. I'm sure. She would have still done the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I mean, she, she still, she's sort of still in the movie world. She does stuff here and there. She, she's a producer now. She produces stuff. Yeah. Um, but what, like watching it again and, and seeing Goldberg and Winfrey specifically like Glover and, and Avery and, and Adolf Caesar, who I think had just been nominated for a soldier story the year before, but didn't win. Um, they're all, they're all great. There, there is not a weak performance in the film. It's, it's remarkable just how well attenuated it is. Like everybody's pulling the rope at the same Tension, which is how Edgar Wright described movie making to me once, and I've never forgotten it. It's just that's like a really his, good his job as a director is making sure everybody's maintaining the tension, and then they can do their jobs and he can do his job. That's so yummy. That's it's, such a great description because that's exactly what it feels like on set. You're looking to how to pull the rope and what where's the tug and what you're reacting to. That's exactly sort of the mechanics that we're after. Yeah. And to see it kind of overlooked and you were saying it's harder and harder for, or it was harder. I'm I'm sure it is still hard. I'm trying to figure out a way to frame this in terms of awards because, you know, it was, the idea was that once Moonlight won best picture, that was that everything was fine again. Black cinema was accepted, but of course it's not true. And then you get little things here. Like it took Spike Lee another two years to win an Oscar for something. I think Black Klansman would have been 2019. Yeah. Um, And do the right thing is, four years away from this movie. And that's stunning to me because they feel like they came from different universes. They have different epochs in cinema, just because this is a much more classical um, measured drama mm-hmm. as it, as I think it needs to be. If you're going to tell the story They're like, there's a miniseries version of this where it tries to be gritty and, and, and realistic or 
you know, like with handheld cameras and, and dirt everywhere. <laughs> and it, I, the lyricism is so important that, that Spielberg brings to it. The, the, yeah, I think, the quieter, I think, gentle things. I think you're right because it's, 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 um, uh, it's a difficult story. It's a difficult story to, to roll through without, um, without wanting to turn away which is sometimes when I think we go for, when we go really for, to make everything raw, like to make emotionally raw stories also visually raw, I think it makes it easy for us to turn away. And for this story where I feel like, I mean, I, rem- I as I understand, there was a lot of um, controversy when the film came out about how raw some of these scenes were and how, um, hurt black men were to f- in this portrayal. Like they, f- I know that um, my father, who um, was a New Yorker, lived in New York, felt betrayed by this movie because they felt he felt like it had betrayed him in such a bad light. Mm. But years later, I feel like the important thing is that we actually got to see a black woman. And have her story be told, which I don't think had been done enough to that point. Um, and and be put in a put in a story in a way that we could actually absorb it and watch it, and not add extra ugly to the ugly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's like it's so important culturally for all of us to feel that we're seen and to feel that we are important. Um, I really appreciate that. I'm, I really appreciate sort of the consumable nature <laughs> of the difficult, beautiful story. And what's interesting is that I see, I see this over and over again with this particular story. Like I went to see the show on Broadway and then I went to see it again when it was remounted on Broadway and how beautiful it has always been made because like the the extras of it the extra voices the people the colors the it's always well supported for such a difficult voice um, yeah i haven't seen the uh, the stage show though it's um it strikes me like everything, all IP is going to get turned into a musical at some point eventually, but it strikes me Apparently. that the color purple could do it. Like you could, you can weave the juke joint through it. There are ways to tell that story musically. And of course, you know, musicals are all about the, the explosions of emotions that you can't have in standard dialogue. So there's certainly a lot of stuff that's being buried and repressed in, in this story that people could conceivably sing about. It's it it they actually do an incredible job and it's it's a wonder like it's the kind of thing where you're like it's a wonder that this it took again it took so long to become a musical because the source material was so rich and also um, again culturally like this is this always felt like new stuff like it always felt like this there's a new place to go with these this particular story and i don't know if it's just because of the era that was set in the 20s and 30s and 40s um the characters i'm not i I can't absolutely be sure but it was it's i mean the the musical has brought us a bona fide star who you know got nominated for an oscar last year and for harriet so right 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 i'm great i always forget that was her that's her, Cynthia Arrivo. Yeah, I'm just, I'm not Broadway people. I'm sorry. But that's okay. You don't. Have I know to be her. From, yeah, I know her from Widows, and she was amazing in that. She's incredible. I don't. And then on top of it, she sings. You know, she decides to write a song, and then it gets nominated for an Oscar, and then oddly enough, it becomes the voice of the like during the the BLM. Um, marches last year i didn't know that that song like it was all over tiktok it was like people picked up that song because it's very much about taking my people um 
She's so not on TikTok. I just <laughs> miss everything that's not that there. <laughs> that's okay. Don't go on yeah. TikTok. It's crack cocaine for your brain. Don't do yeah. that. No, there's the other. That is the other thing. I'm 53. I shouldn't be on TikTok. I think don't be on TikTok. No, it's very unhealthy for all of us. Um, but what I do find interesting is that the color purple again delivered us a bona fide movie star and gave us the chance was a full enough story and a beautiful enough story that we we got the chance to see an actor really uh, fire on all pistons, which is again, one of those things that um, I'm really grateful for. Like as an actor, I don't always, you know, I, I, I play, I love my job, but a lot of the time what I'm offered isn't a full person. It's a part of a person or it's a part of a person's life. And you, you know, you get to see me with one sort of relationship, you know, being the best friend or being the lawyer or being the doctor who comes in and gives terrible news or the, you know, the cop who comes in at the end and saves the day. And all of these parts I really love and enjoy playing, but none of them are really about a full human being, which is, is interesting when you go for you know many years in a career and you're like wow I find it interesting that I'm haven't been invited to tell that story and I watch you know my peers my wonderful um acting peers get to do that over and over again and you're like hmm okay there's a problem in the business or there's a problem where we're shy or scared or intimidated or don't consider that story important to tell. So I think it's not, I, I don't think it's by coincidence that Whoopi Goldberg became a star after, after the color purple or Cynthia became a star after the color purple. It's because they had the opportunity to tell a story with all with the full range of human emotions and all of us got to really know them and be moved by them. So I think it's, I'm also grateful to that movie for that. Yeah. That's, that's a really beautiful way to put it. Uh, I usually end with asking the guest if there's something of the film that they've borrowed or lifted or, or full on just absorbed in their own and used in their own work. I think, well, well, actually with my show, being able to play a character, you know, like it's very different. I'm playing a comedy, mm-hmm. um, which I, it's odd. I don't normally do it, but I find myself in comedies quite a, quite a bit. Um, like in Overlord in the Underwoods, the, the opportunity to play a full person with joy and pain with a family, with a full family dynamic, it's, it's just something I never, I have never had the opportunity to have, let alone, you know, I've always dreamed of having it, but, um, and I'm so thrilled to be doing it. Um, but yeah, there's, that's, that is part of the joy that comes along with the, the parts I'm getting to play now is that they're much fuller and, we're allowed to be silly and we're allowed to be emotional and we're allowed to tell the story of a full human being. But the, one of the things I learned from Whoopi watching her in that movie was that it was really important to mix the laughter, the joy with the tears Mm -hmm. that those things could live side by side. And she does it in that mirror scene when she talks tells Shug, you know, he beats me when you're away. And, and we see her smile. Um, seeing those things live side by side as an actor, I'm, I've always taken that as a clue that that is really moving when an audience can live through that, those shifts, that there's always a little happy there's always a little happy in the sad and that there's always a little sad in the happy. And if you can find that you're, you'll be able to tell a much more complete sort of human story. I think yeah. she does it. She does it really beautifully when she finds that little piece of paper that says sky on it, that her sister had been teaching her. And when she looks at that 
and she, we see her live through the memory and we see her live through the loss. It's that is that moment encapsulated for me there, I think really clearly. Yeah. Well, it's who she was. It's who she is. It's, it's the whole continuum of the story just right in front of you on a human being's face. Yeah. So yummy. Spielberg. He just knew he could do it. He knew she could do it and he knew he could catch it. And she did it. I mean, really, you know, she did it. it I, I mean, I props to Spielberg for giving her the opportunity, but really when the camera's on and you got to do it, the fact that she could do it. And I, I mean, like, I think that was her first movie also when she got nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. First film. <laughs> just no. makes me wonder like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> what was I doing on my first movie? Not that. <laughs> I was not getting an Oscar nod on my first movie. No. Oh, well. It's still time. The next one. There's time. There's time. It's fine. My thanks to Patrice Goodman, who you can see in Overload in the Underwoods on CBC Gem right now. The second half of that first season drops this Friday, January 21st. Thanks also to Jen Paris. She knows what she did. You can find Patrice on Twitter at Patrice underscore Goodman, and you can find The Color Purple on Blu-ray and DVD from Warner Home Entertainment. It's also streaming on Crave in Canada and Tubi in the U.S., and available to rent or buy on VOD platforms pretty much everywhere. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I host the Now What podcast every Friday in addition to writing way too much about movies and television. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get your booster when you can. I'll see you next time.